Now for agribusiness news, markets, and weather from Studio C, this is Agriculture Today. A pretty large decline in the number of cattle going into feedlots last month. USDA reports placements were almost 1.8 million head. That's down 7% from January a year ago. Why the big decline? USDA livestock analyst Shale Shagam gave us a couple of reasons. The number of cattle outside feedlots is, is small relative to a year ago. You're down about 4%. So to some extent, it, it does reflect pulling a number of cattle from a smaller pool. The other thing you have to remember is that you know we did have some weather events during January, which probably had some impact on the pace of placements of cattle into the feedlots. However, feedlot inventories on February 1st were still slightly above February 1st of 2023 at 11.8 million head, just 40,000 head or so more than a year ago. Gary Crawford, Washington. You're listening to Agriculture Today. Here's what we saw in the United States. Here's uh, how the spring is shaping up. Mark Brusberg is chief meteorologist for USDA. El Nino winter at the top. Uh, you expect there to be wet weather in the southwest so along the southern tier. And you can see dryness in parts of the upper Midwest. Okay, And we saw that in some areas, but not others. Now, this is, again, it's not a, it's not a conference, uh, AOF conference, unless you see the drought monitor at least once. This is a derivative product. This is the change in uh, in the drought monitor classes since the beginning of the water year. And you see, there really wasn't a lot of change in California. It actually got a little drier in parts of the Intermountain West. Uh, we saw drought improve over the Southern Plains and over the Deep South, but we're still seeing some problems in the Tennessee Valley. So we did see some improvement, but not not complete improvement. There's still uh, quite a bit of drought in in and around the, you know, I think northern Mississippi. Now, we've heard a lot about atmospheric rivers in California. They they had a, just an incredible amount of rain in Los Angeles this year. We had the atmospheric rivers last year. That's basically how California gets a lot of its moisture from that setup. They typically have more of these events during El Nino year than a La Nina year. Okay, we did, we just haven't seen that yet. Still, still have April to go to. But if you look at the top of the top lines in in all three charts, 1982-83 was the max. That was that El Nino year that I I just sort of brought up. Uh, you know, from uh, a couple of charts before that yellow line is 22-23. So during a third year, after, you know, the third year of La Nina, they just got pummeled with rainwater. And that was, that was good for a lot of the West. Unfortunately, that didn't reach the Colorado Basin like we had hoped it would. So there's still drought areas in the West. But again, that, that's something we didn't anticipate that happening. Now, here's the seasonal outlook. North, uh, northern tier, warmer than normal. Uh, in the Southeast, you don't see the above normal right over Nebraska, but you do see a good portion of the Southeast wetter than normal. And really, if you're looking at just rainfall and temperature for the spring, things could be mixed. I mean, we're, we're still uh, concerned about dryness across the nation's northern tier. Um, obviously, we had some transportation issues in the Mississippi and the Tennessee valleys. Uh, hopefully, that will abate if we continue to get more rainfall in the southeast. And, you know, this, this earlier forecast for dryness, that sort of goes away in the uh, outlook that was released uh, last night. 
But again, you know, it's sort of mixed. You don't want to see it to be too wet when they're planting, you know, because that slows things down. This is the drought outlook, okay? And you can see that dark brown, uh, they're expecting drought to persist. So we're expecting drought, at least in some degree, to persist over parts of the Midwest, uh, you know, going up into the Canadian border. Could be a dry start to the planting season. But again, you know, sort of neutral on the three-month outlook. Uh, parts of the four corners uh, stay in drought. They're anticipating Arizona getting more rain, et cetera. And, you know, we were talking about how the out outlook for winter wheat is a little bit better this year. That's because of the abatement of the drought, but, you know, we still have to watch the northern high plains that, you know, they were, uh, they had a, uh, I guess, a winter kill scare a couple of weeks ago. So we have to keep an eye on them if they don't have snow and it does get cold. It's agriculture today. Ag news now. Agriculture today. Economic growth is expected to continue throughout the world and in many regions to continue at a faster rate in 2024 and 2025 than in 2023. Jake Villeman is an analyst with USDA. And so this is expected to support global demand growth for the crops that I'm going to touch on today. Secondly, after peaking at 8% in 2022, inflation has been moderating, and this is expected to continue with the annual rate of inflation falling to 3% in 2024 and just over 2% in 2025. With the outlook on inflation improving and the Federal Reserve slowing or reversing the, the pace of interest rate increases, the dollar is off the highs of 2022, but is still expected to be historically strong. All things equal, a relatively strong U.S. dollar makes U.S. agricultural commodities more expensive in global markets. This can create headwinds, particularly when the dollar is strong relative to the currencies of other major exporters. Another major factor at play over the last few crops has been soaring prices for agricultural inputs. Inflationary pressure and disruptions associated with the war between Russia and Ukraine caused dramatic increases in fertilizer prices over the past few years, as you can see on this chart. However, prices have eased and are now below year-ago levels. While lower fertilizer prices are certainly welcome news, they're accompanied by diminished forward pricing opportunities for many agricultural commodities. This slide shows world stocks of wheat, corn, and soybeans outside of China, which in total are projected to begin the 24-25 crop year 7% higher than they began 23-24. Global stocks of both corn and soybeans are expected to see large increases. Corn stocks to begin 24-25 are projected to be 17% higher following a record U.S. corn crop in 23-24. Meanwhile, soybean stocks are forecast 15% higher to begin 24-25 after a recovery in Argentine soybean production. Wheat stocks, on the other hand, are expected to begin the new crop year lower for the fourth consecutive year, though U.S. stocks are expected to move in the opposite direction to begin 24-25 and are actually 15% higher. Now let's begin talking about the 24-25 crops in the U.S. by looking at the forecast for the season average farm prices, which we anticipate sliding for a second consecutive year. The season average farm price for corn is forecast at $4.40 per bushel, down 40 cents from 23-24. Soybean prices are expected to decline at $1.45 per bushel to $11.20. And finally, the wheat price is forecast to be $6 per bushel, down $1.20 from the prior crop year. With lower prices for the major crops and weather during planting that is assumed to be normal for the purposes of our initial forecast, acres for corn, 
soybeans, and wheat are expected to total 225.5 million acres for the 24-25 crop year. This is down 2.3 million acres from 23-24 and basically equal to the average over the last three crop years. It's 4.5 million acres above the average for the last five crop years. Driving expectations on wheat, of the three major crops, wheat acres are anticipated to see the largest decline in percentage terms during the 24-25 crop year, down 5% year over year to 47 million acres. Corn acres are anticipated to decline 90 to 291 million acres in the upcoming crop year, 4% lower than 23-24 after high prices that year saw uh, um, acres increase sharply. Meanwhile, soybeans will buck the overall trend and rise nearly 5% to 87.5 million acres as rising demand for soy oil and biofuel and expanding crush capacity supports demand. It's agriculture today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. As we get closer to the March 15th deadline for the 2024 program election, there's been increasing interest in evaluating and comparing expected payments across these program choices. Nick Paulson is an agricultural economist at the University of Illinois in the Farm Doc Department. Lower price forecasts for 2024 have led to higher chances of payments relative to recent years. The Gardner Program Payment Calculator has recently been updated to provide estimates for 2024 PLC and ARC County payments. The calculator covers most U.S. states and counties. Users can select their own county and compare program payment estimates for corn, soybeans, and wheat based on their specific PLC program yields and across multiple price forecasts for 2024, which are built into the tool. The estimates in this video are based on expectations for the 2024 marketing year average prices of $4.40 for corn, $11.20 for soybeans, and $6 for wheat. These prices are consistent with current USDA forecasts and lower than prices we've considered in some of our earlier analysis of the 2024 ARC PLC decision. These lower price forecasts reflect recent market movements. The calculator indicates that for corn and wheat base acres in Illinois, County-level ARC has a greater chance of triggering payments compared to the price loss coverage program. The estimated likelihood of ARC payments ranges from 40 to 50% for corn and wheat, while PLC payment chances are around 30 to 35% for most areas. The higher ARC benchmark prices compared with the PLC effective reference prices for corn and wheat, along with the potential for ARC to trigger payments based on yield losses, contribute to the higher probabilities of ARC county payments in the coming year. For soybeans, payment chances are lower at around 10% for both programs. The soybean price for 2024, while lower than the past three years, still remains above trigger levels for the PLC and ARC County programs compared with other commodities like corn and wheat. In terms of expected payment size, ARC County is also associated with larger payments for corn and wheat. For PLC, expected payments on corn base are in the $10 to $20 per base acre range, depending on the farm's program yield, and expected ARC County payments are in the $15 to $25 per base acre range, depending on the county. For wheat, expected PLC payments are in the $7 to $10 range per base acre, while expected ARC County payments are in the $10 to $15 per base acre range. Given the low probability of payments, Soybean payments are expected to be in the range of 2 to $3 per acre for both PLC and ARC County. 
Note that these payment expectations are average values across the range of outcomes the calculator considers, and they include those scenarios where no payment is triggered, as well as scenarios where larger payments are triggered. Again, the estimates discussed here are based on the latest price expectations from the USDA. The calculator also includes other price forecast scenarios, including ones with higher and lower expected prices for 2024, so that users can see how different price expectations might impact program payment comparisons. As we approach the March 15th deadline, we encourage you to use our tools and calculators to help with your decisions. The Gardner Calculator is available online as a web tool to provide estimates of payment likelihood and expected payment levels for PLC in Arc County. The Excel-based What If tool can be used to do specific scenario analysis for different prices and yields for PLC, ARC County, and even the ARC Individual Program. University of Illinois Ag Economist Nick Paulson. And this is Agriculture Today. You're listening to Agriculture Today. The bottom line is U.S. and other rich country imports have been on a really nice trend and have been gyrating significantly since COVID. Stephen McDonald is a fiber analyst at USDA at the recent USDA Ag Outlook Forum. And what we have now is the U.S. expenditure on clothing remains very high, but we're not importing any clothing. And this is through December. A year ago, um, Les Meyer stood up here and representing the committee said, that's going to turn around. And here's where we are now. And I'm here to tell you it's going to turn around. That we are, it's, it's, it's going to pick up and we'll get back up there. The inventories have been, have been burned through and now there's going to have to be a snapback to some extent. As a result, we expect world cotton consumption to grow at double the long run rate, even though we just have this steady economic growth. Uh, as a result, we have world uh, production and consumption about the, cha- the same. So ending stocks don't change very much, and uh, the prices go up. But that's partly because of the you know, we're still working through some of those shocks and uh, from from that from the past, and uh, certainly has some shocks lately on ice. So the last part, USDA, as you know, the paper's already out. We're forecasting you know a seven percent increase, seven and a half in planted area. Uh, prices are you know significantly better than, than a year ago, and they've they've come up you know nicely. This draft starts in November, and that's Valentine's Day. Um, so when the cotton grower survey you know, was, was out, I mean, there's been a, a big change since then. So it's a, these estimates are not inconsistent, and who knows? We'll see the Cotton Council this weekend, see what they have to say about this. The other thing that's different is the weather is, has been a lot better. I mean, El Nino didn't, didn't really pour on the rain like we might, you might have expected, but Texas looks a lot better. That's kind of a sad little problem possibly there in the, in the Delta. Um, but... We focus a lot more um, for weather variability on West Texas. So we're forecasting, USDA is forecasting abandonment at 24%. Now, I said we always use normal weather, and this is abandonment that is um, smaller than the average and smaller than the median over the last 10 years. And I would argue that, well, on the other hand, though, we actually do have weather to date, which has been not bad. And so we are, we are forecasting more abandonment than someone might if they just use this particular variable. So what we have is, even though we only have an 8% increase in planted area, we've got a 30-something percent increase in, in harvested area with five-year average yields regionally, we got a nice bump in our, in our production, you know, up uh, almost 30%. So we can't very well export cotton we don't have. So since we have it, that's one reason why we'll be able to export it. But then again, we can't export it if no one will buy it. We have world import demand rising. 
With world consumption rising, so some of those importing countries that haven't been so great this year you know, will, will, will go up. China's imports will go down, but 10 million bales is not bad. You know, some of the increase in imports we see this year is going into bonded warehouses, and it'll come out next year. It's, it's, and, and it'll enter spinning, and it'll, they won't be buying as much, but they'll actually be consuming at least as much imported cotton. This is the forecast. And so we are, you know, we, you saw the forecast we have for our competitor crops, and the U.S. crop is growing much more than they are. If, if uh, their crops grow more, you know, that'll be harder. If they grow less, the U.S. will do better. So here we are with the U.S., lower beginning stocks, but we can get our, we get our supplies up nicely, and we get a good, a good increase in our, um, in our exports and a nice increase in our ending stocks. And so though the, at a 23% stocks to use, I mean, we're still just in the, what I would consider the realm of stocks to use where it's not really anything to worry about. And uh, we're forecasting the, the price to average 80 cents next year. It's agriculture today. Ag News Now. Agriculture Today. And so driving the expectation for lower wheat acres, in addition to the lower trend we've seen the past several decades, uh, our winter wheat planted acres that are down 6% from 2023. Jake Villeman is an economist with USDA's Economic and Policy Analysis Division at the recent Ag Outlook Forum. As you can see on the map, this includes large producing states of Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, and Colorado. Among the top five, top five, only Montana saw acres planted to winter wheat rise in 2024 year over year. Oh, and as a reminder, winter wheat planted acres are typically about two thirds of the total. For corn and soybean acres, new crop prices currently favor expanded soybean acres at the expense of corn acres. This chart shows the ratio between November soybean futures and December corn futures based on the average settlement of those contracts between January 1st and February 9th. The ratio is higher than the last two years, but below 2021. Working counter to this and preventing a larger drop in corn acres during 24-25 are the lower fertilizer prices that I touched on earlier. Now let's start looking at the 24-25 balance sheets in the U.S. by crop, and we'll start on the corn side and discuss some highlights. Corn supplies in 24-25 are projected at a record 17.2 billion bushels, as sharply higher carry-in more than offsets lower production, which is forecast at 15 billion bushels, 2% below last year's record level. Production is based on 83.1 million acres, or about 91% of planted acres, being harvested, and a weather-adjusted trend yield of 181 bushels per acre. This assumes normal planting uh, conditions and summer crop development, of course. On the use side of the corn balance sheet, exports, domestic use, and carryout are all projected to increase in line with larger supplies. Relatively firm global demand and lower U.S. prices are expected to spur exports 2% higher to 2.2 billion bushels in 24-25. However, stiff competition in the global marketplace, particularly from South America, will prevent further year-over-year growth. Lower prices and larger supplies will also support feed and residual, which we see rising 1% to about 5.8 million bushels. Ethanol use, meanwhile, is is projected to increase marginally by 25 million bushels as macroeconomic conditions support a modest increase in driving and motor gasoline consumption. At the end of the year, this leaves us with a carryout of 2.5 billion bushels, the highest in 35 years, 
and it gives us a stock to use ratio of 17%, the highest since the 05-06 crop year. This slide plots world corn exports from the 14-15 trade year to the current trade year and provides some context for the out year. You see exports have trended higher overall in this time period, with all exporters plotted here seeing growth. Global corn trade has increased by more than 65 million tons since the 14-15 trade year, and driving this growth has been Chinese import demand, which accounted for more than a quarter of this increase. There's also been growth in the European Union, Mexico, and Vietnam, as well as others, during this same time period. Among the largest exporters, Brazil has seen the biggest growth during the past 10 years, with exports in the 23-24 trade year forecast to be 150% of what they were 10 years ago. Argentina, too, has seen considerable growth in exports, with totals nearly double what they were in the 14-15 trade year. Jake Villeman, agricultural economist at USDA. And this is Agriculture Today. With Agriculture Today, here's Tony St. James. Box beef has, you know, has been pretty flat. It's really been moving sideways most of this, uh, this, this year. Now I say that after the first of the year, we had that really cold weather that caused disruptions in packing plants and some pipeline issues. And so box beef jumped up. Oklahoma State livestock economist Daryl Peel. But once it did jump up into that sort of mid 290 range for choice box beef, it's been pretty sideways, just kind of up and down. It did go slightly above $300 a hundred weight for choice box beef again on Friday last week. And, you know, beef production has been falling this year, so tighter supplies all around is going to continue to support these markets. What about imports and exports? We got the December data for beef imports and exports and cattle trade. So, you know, from a beef standpoint, uh, what evolved through the year in 2023 was, uh, you know, some headwinds for beef exports. We expected to see that, and we did see that. So when we ended up the year, beef uh, exports were down a little bit over 14% on a year-over-year basis. You know, again, supplies are tighter in the U.S., prices are higher, and we generally had a strong dollar most of the time. So all of those things are headwinds for exports. The market is behaving and reacting much to the market conditions now, much like it has in the past when we've seen similar situations. On the beef import side, it's exactly the opposite. All of those things, uh, higher prices in the U.S., smaller supplies, and a strong dollar favors beef imports. So we expect to see some increase in imports, and we did see uh, on an annual basis about an almost a 10% increase uh, in beef imports. How about live cattle trade? You know, on the live cattle trade, um, you know, one of the numbers that people have keyed in on a little bit is uh, the cattle imports from Mexico. They were up about 43% on a year-over-year basis. That sounds like a scary big number. And it was about 1.25 million head. Uh, if you look at it, the reason it was so big of an increase was because last year was so low. And so we had a sharp decrease in 2022, bounced back to more normal levels, actually pretty close to normal levels, just slightly elevated in 2023. It's important to kind of keep those in context. And even more so, you know, we tend to talk about trade flows, especially uh, especially cattle trade, I think. We use the absolute numbers. So we got 1.2 million head of feeder cattle from Mexico. That sounds like an awfully big number in isolation. But if you think about uh, Mexican cattle imports as a percentage of our calf crop in the U.S., it has averaged for about 30 years between three and three and a half percent of our, our of our calf production. So it's actually a pretty minor, uh, you know, modest level of, of imports. 
Um, and so it's important to kind of keep that in mind. We're not seeing any trends in that. I mean, it's just kind of the normal business. We do also export a few cattle to Mexico and Canada, but the, the, the net inflows of cattle, uh, from both of those countries into the U.S. is certainly the biggest part of that. How about imports from our northern neighbor? You know, Canadian cattle imports, uh, were actually down slightly on a, on a total basis for the year in 2023. Uh, and again, it's important to keep in mind, uh, you know, and those numbers are oh, around 700,000 head. I don't have the exact number at, at the moment, but Canada is a, a little bit more of a mixed bag of, of cattle trade with the U.S. So uh, a, a significant portion of the cattle imports from Canada are actually fed cattle coming out of Canadian feedlots ready to go to slaughter, and they do go straight to slaughter in the U.S. Uh, there's another portion that is actually cull cows and bulls that get marketed to the packers just like our cull cows and bulls do in the US and then there is a little piece uh, of the of the Canadian imports that are feeder cattle much like the Mexican cattle that go straight into US feedlots and so uh, again we're seeing fairly normal trade there no major changes no major trends in those markets it's just uh, you know uh, it's just kind of the usual flow of of cattle and and beef in the North American uh, combined market it's agriculture today This is Agriculture Today. This has been the best year that our agency has had, and we've had some good years. Terry Cosby heads up the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. He's describing the record-breaking amount of conservation work his agency did during the 2023 fiscal year, which ended September 30th. We supported close to 45,000 conservation contracts, totaling over about $2.8 billion in financial assistance. Our folks are dedicated. They stepped up. They got the job done. And then we finished the year at about 99.8% uh, completed. I, I know there was a lot of folks that didn't think we could do it, but we, we stood up to the task and we got it done. The task will be even bigger this year. Funding for conservation will rise from $2.8 billion last year to about $5 billion this year. So this time next year, Terry Cosby will likely once again say to me, It was just the best year of this agency. Gary Crawford, Washington.